turn back to Job. Uh, a few years ago uh, now, I, I bought this book. Uh, book. It's called Lament for a Son. Just kind of coming to the end of my GP training, uh, I just had this awareness that lots of the people that I was speaking to during my working day uh, had suffered, were suffering or had suffered a lot. Uh, and I recognise there was a bit of a gap between my experience of suffering and the experience of uh, some of the people that I was speaking to. They had suffered a lot uh, and I hadn't suffered much. So I came across this book. Uh, it's a book about a man uh, who's lost his son. Uh, his son was just 25 uh, and died in a, a climbing accident. And I read this book again. It's only a short book this last week. I just wanted to start this morning by reading the first page. Uh, here's how the book begins. The call came at 3.30 on that Sunday afternoon, a bright and sunny day. Mr. Walterstorff, yes? Is that Eric's father? Yes. Mr. Walterstorff, I must give you some bad news. Yes. Eric's been in a climbing accident in the mountains. There's been a, a bad accident. Yes. Eric has had a serious accident, Mr. Walterstorff. I must tell you, Eric is dead. You must come at once. For three seconds, I felt the peace of resignation. Arms extended, limp son in hand, peacefully offering him to someone. To someone. Then the pain, cold, burning pain. And the rest of the book uh, really is a glimpse into the heart of a father who has lost a son. And it's quite a moving book. Uh, it's not a particularly easy read. And... As we turn to the book of Job, we saw that Job is a man who has lost everything. In chapter 1, Job is described as the greatest man in the East. Abundant wealth, beautiful family. He was a friend of God. He still is a friend of God. <laughs> but then, as we went into chapter 2, we saw... Job's life was undone. He lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He even lost his health. Uh, and when we left him, he was mourning and sat in the ashes, uh, covered in sores. And this morning, as we read chapter 3 of Job, we get an insight into Job's heart. We get to see his pain, the cold, burning pain, the, the kind of deep, restless agony uh, that Job was experiencing. I think probably the passage we read, Job chapter 3, is one of the darkest passages in the whole Bible. It's bleak. There's hardly any signs of, of hope there. If you know anything about the book of Job, usually uh, what we know is the beginning of the story. Everyone knows about Job's greatness and then about Job's disaster. If we know a bit more about the book of Job, we know the end of the story. It's a beautiful end. But often we miss out the big, the big chunk in the middle uh, of, of Job's pain. And this leads us to a bit of a, a two-dimensional view of the book of Job. We say Job suffered a lot. Job 
trusted God, a remarkable man of faith. And we draw out the lesson, rightly so, when we suffer, we too must trust God. But there's more, isn't there, to the, to the book of Job. There's all these laments, there's all of these conversations backwards and forwards uh, between uh, Job and his friends. And the danger of only focusing on the beginning and the end is, is that the book, as I said, becomes a bit two-dimensional. And as Christians, we need to make place and time for lament when bad things happen. Yes, when we suffer, we must trust God. But we must also acknowledge the pain and the difficulty and the heartache that suffering causes. If we don't don't do that, the words trust God become a bit trite and cliche if we don't acknowledge the pain and the suffering. And sometimes that can lead to a superficial Christianity where we must always just smile and pretend everything's okay when when it's just not. So we're going to spend this morning looking at these these dark words of Job. Uh, And the first thing I want us to notice from this passage is that Job is alone. Job is alone. When Job's three friends hear about the evil that's come upon him, they make a plan. Uh, They get together and they decide to come to Job. And the reason they, they come to Job is to show him sympathy and comfort. There was no instant messaging back in the day. There was no email, no WhatsApp. Uh, the news of Job's disaster would have taken a while to spread. Coordinating this trip, again, would have taken more time, probably weeks rather than days. Uh, and when Job's friends arrive at Job, they see him from a distance And boy, has Job changed. The man that they knew has gone. They they see him from a distance and it says they don't recognise him. He's covered in sores, probably lost weight, probably hadn't slept. And they don't recognise their friend Job. I remember going to see a friend of mine in, in hospital, young fellow in his 20s, uh, fit and well, he'd hurt his thumb and he had to have a small procedure uh, to fix his thumb. And I went to see him soon after he'd had this procedure uh, and he was in a hospital bed and he was in a hospital gown and he looked pale from the anaesthetic. Uh, and I, I asked the nurses at the station, where is he? Oh, he's in bed, whatever, bed number eight. And as I went at first, I had to double take because I thought they'd sent me to the wrong bed. <laughs> It just didn't look like my friend. Uh, the, the guy that was fit and well was now led in the hospital bed looking pale and vulnerable. Uh, it didn't seem like himself. Imagine what it was like for, for Job's friends when they see Job, the greatest man in the East. They knew the old Job, the rich Job, the healthy Job. But this new Job, they didn't, they didn't recognise him. He's a stranger. He's all alone, and so they begin to weep. They do the mourning thing. They put dust on their their head. Dust is associated with death. And they sit with Job. And they sit with him for seven days in silence. I think that probably made Job feel even more alone. It says, doesn't it, that they didn't speak to him. 
did they speak to each other? I don't know, maybe when they went for a, a comfort break, uh, whispered chats when Job wasn't looking. But he didn't say anything to Job. It says, no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. <laughs> Again, it reminds me of the hospital ward round. The medical staff uh, stood around uh, the bed of the patient, <laughs> talking about the patient, talking over the patient, talking across the patient, and going away to talk in private away from the patient, but forgetting to talk to the patient. The patient is suffering and sufferers inhabit a different world. They almost become a different species. And that's what it's like for Job's friends. Their tears may have been solved, but their silence was like salt in a wound. A little later on in in this short book, uh, the writer says this, Grief isolates. This does not mean that only I grieving am isolated from you happy. It means that shared grief isolates the sharers from each other. Though united in that we are grieving, we grieve differently. My sorrow is not your sorrow. There is something more. I struggle so hard to regain life that I cannot reach out to you, nor you to me. It's when people are happy that they say, let's get together. (laughs) Suffering makes us feel alone, doesn't it? There's always that sense that other people can't really understand. Job's friends, they come with good intentions. They're present. They've got to be commended for that. They come to sympathize with him and sit with him in the ashes. But I think they fall short of comfort. Comfort means speaking words to someone's heart. And they sit in silence. It's as though there's a great chasm between Job and his friends that they're unable to cross. Can you imagine that silence for seven days? Have you played that game before where you see uh, how long it can be silent in a, in a room of people? You get to, what, ten seconds and it begins to feel really awkward? Imagine what it was like after seven days. And after seven days, it seems like Job has just had enough. And he, he opens his mouth in this loud lament. It's like a volcano of darkness that comes from his mouth. Verse 1 of chapter 3, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Most of the rest of the book of Job is poetry, kind of intricate Hebrew poetry. And poetry is different just to kind of narrative or story. Poetry communicates head to head, but it also communicates heart to heart. There are things that can be communicated in poetry that can't be really communicated just in story or bullet points. And we really get a feeling of what Job is feeling at this time. It's raw, it's uncensored lament. Job's not trying to say what people want him to say. There's no filter on Job's words. He's not trying to keep up appearances. It's raw and it's unvarnished and it's how he feels. And as we look at this lament of Job, we see two things. We see what Job wants and what Job asks. The first thing that Job wants 
Job wants the day of his birth to not exist. It goes beyond just wishing he'd never been born. So verse 3, Let that day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Verse 4, he wants that day to be darkness. He wants it to be a day that God has forsaken. He says, let not God seek out that day. Let it be a God-forsaken day. A day where no light shines. It's as though Job wants to wind the clock back on God's creation. You know, back in Genesis 1, when God creates the world, it's dark, it's murky, and then he speaks those strong, powerful words, let there be light, and there's light. It's like Job wants to decreate the day of his birth. He wants his own creation to remain forever undone. It's all sorts of darkness imagery through those first 10 verses. Verse 6, that night let thick darkness seize it. Let no rejoicing among the days of, let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. It's as though Job wishes he had a diary of the year that he was born and when he opened it and he turned to the day of his birth, it had just been taken out. Or those calendars where, you know, you go past and you tear the month off when it's gone. Job wants to kind of go back and tear the whole month of his birth out of the calendar. He wished it never existed. Verse 7, he wants the night of his birth to be barren. The birth of a child is a joyful occasion, a, a an occasion filled with light. Job looks back at the past and he wishes that night, he pictures an empty maternity uh, bed. Pictures the the midwife unit, where the bed where his mum was was laid and where he was laid in the the little uh, cot next to her. And he pictures that night, just a quiet, dark room. No baby cries. No happy rejoicing among his parents. Verse 8, he wants the day of his birth to be cursed. Pictures in verse 8, the professional curses. He talks about this creature, Leviathan. Leviathan is a, a kind of storybook sea monster of chaos. He wants to undo the goodness and the beauty of God's world. And Job wants these professional curses to call up this Leviathan, this sea monster, uh, and consume the day of his birth so it would be no more. And this creature, Leviathan, comes up later on in Job in chapter 41. Why does Job hate the day of his birth so much? He tells us in verse 10, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Job feels deep unrest, deep turmoil, deep trouble, and he just wishes his life was over. For Job, life has become worse than death. He can only look back in regret. It's as though the future is is blanked out. He can't see anything up ahead. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. He looks back in regret and feels the pain of the present, but there's nothing to live for in the future. We can sometimes feel like that, can't we? Sometimes we reach a point in life where life feels worse than death. And these are 
dark, dark words. We don't expect to find words like this in the Bible, do we? And yet, yet they're, they're here. And they're here for a reason. Timothy reminds us that all scripture is God-breathed. These words that we have recorded from the mouth of Job, they're, they're breathed out by God and they're useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training us as his people. So we're going to keep going. <laughs> I know it's bleak. We've only got to, chapter, to verse 10 of chapter 3, but we're going to keep going. Job, what Job wants, he wants the day of his birth to be cursed and no more. What does Job ask? First thing he asks is, why did I not die? Why did I not die? Verse 11, why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Again, he pictures the midwifery unit, the baby Job there in the cot, but no one else in the room. No mum, no dad to look after him. Just left alone to die. Job feels that would have been preferable for him. Verse 16, why was I not a stillborn child as an infant who never sees the light? <laughs> Verses 11 to 16, Job pictures death as a place of rest, a place of ease, a place of freedom from trouble. It's a place where rich and poor are alike, where slave and master are treated the same, where there's no oppression for poor and suffering people. He just wants to die. He asked the question in verse 20, why do I continue to live? Why is light given why is light given to those who are in misery and life to the bitter in soul? Sometimes suffering can seem so meaningless and so purposeless. Job, remember, he knows nothing of the heavenly council meeting in chapter 1. He doesn't know about the conversation between the Lord and the Satan. He just wants to know why he continues to live. He feels he's kind of hedged in by God. In chapter 1, he's hedged in with a hedge of protection. He keeps Job and all his blessings safe, but now he feels like it's a barbed wire fence keeping God and his blessings out. As though God has closed him in, never to look on him again. Instead of bread and water, he just has groanings and moanings and sighs to sustain himself. He's probably lost his appetite. It's the stuff of nightmares, isn't it, Job chapter 3? You know those nightmares that you have and you, you wake up and then something of the horror and the terror just stays with you for a bit. Just for seconds before you realise it's, it's all been a dream. But for Job, there is no waking because there is no sleeping. He's restless. This is the worst thing that Job could have ever imagined has come upon him. Verse 26, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. But trouble comes. What are we to make of Job chapter 3? What can we learn? Why is this passage in the Bible? I want to just 
three words as we uh, think about what this section is teaching us. And the first word is darkness. The first word is darkness. Job, we must remember, is a believer. He's someone who trusts God. Job isn't suffering because he's done something wrong or gone astray. Job is suffering because he's such an exemplary believer. I think the challenge of this passage is that this kind of darkness is a legitimate experience for the believer in Jesus Christ. Job is affirmed by God in chapter 1. He's affirmed by God at the end in, in chapter 41. Job said, God says that Job has spoken what is right about him. As Christians, we have much to praise God about, don't we? Much to praise God about. But that doesn't mean there's no place for lament. I once read an article with a quite provocative title. It was entitled, What Do Miserable Christians Sing? The writer of the article was, was making the point that when you open the book of Psalms, there's the full spectrum of emotion expressed there. Highest praise to deepest lament. And yet when we open our Christian songbook, there's no songs for the miserable Christians. And that it, was a, it was a short article, and the person who wrote it has wrote lots of books, but he said of everything that he's written, that article has got more traction than anything else. People had responded with so many positive comments to that article. And it reminds us, as a church, church must be a place where people can come and be sad. If we feel like when we come to church, we always have to smile. Church is going to be a very lonely place for people who are suffering. Job 3 tells us that it's possible to be a Christian and just feel black despair. And in, 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 in the book of Romans, Paul writes to the church there and he says, weep with those who weep. And that's what we're to do as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. We're to weep with those who weep. We need reminding of the truth. Yes, we do. We need reminding of the truth that because Jesus has risen, uh, uh, died and risen again, that no matter how black the future seems, there is light. We need reminding of that. But we also need to know that simply being reminded of that truth doesn't take away the darkness that we feel at present. I want to read again uh, from this book. This chap, Nicholas Walterstorff, writes this. Elements of the gospel, which I'd always thought would console, did not. They did something else, something important, but not that. It did not console me to, re to be reminded of the hope of the resurrection. If I had forgotten that hope, then it would indeed have brought light into my life to be reminded of it. But I did not think of death as a bottomless pit. I did not grieve as one who has no hope. Yet Eric is gone. Here and now he is gone. Now I cannot talk with him. Now I cannot see him. Now I cannot hug him. Now I cannot hear his plans for the future. That is my sorrow. A friend said, remember he's in good hands. 
I was deeply moved. But that reality does not put Eric back in my hands now. Job's darkness reminds us that sometimes, even as believers, we can feel really dark. The second thing, Job's restlessness. Job's not a stoic. He's not a fatalist. He's not saying, case sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. He's a restless man, isn't he? He's restless. He's not defeated. He's not made peace with his pain. He knows there's something profoundly wrong about what's happened to him. And his restlessness is a sign of, of hope. Even in his deepest darkness, he knows that there is a God who is good. His pain is too great and his God is too real to keep his mouth shut. He must protest. And so his lament is a, is a sign of his faith. It's a sign of his faith. And that's why I think as believers, when we face suffering, we must face it. We must make time to lament. Suffering and death and injustice are squatters in God's world. You know, in the Bible, a prayer that's often found on the lips of God's people is this. How long, O Lord? How long is this going to go on? And I think as his people, we must make time for lament. We know this world was once very good without any bad. We know this world will one day be perfect. And that means we can't make peace with death and pain and suffering. We must lament. So that's Job's restlessness. It's a pointer to his faith. And the third thing is Job's loneliness. We saw at the start that Job was alone. Even though his friends came to see him, they spoke no words of comfort to him. Job was a stranger to them. They couldn't really understand his pain. And we noted that suffering makes us feel alone. Last week when we looked at Job chapter 1 and 2, we saw that Job is he's an example of a, a kind of model believer. Job is also a, a foreshadow a shadow of, of someone greater who would come, the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that as, as Job, he was the greatest man reduced to the ashes. We thought about Jesus, the, the God-man, who came down to earth to die on, on a cross. He entered into our pain and suffering. And in Job's loneliness, we see a foreshadowing of the loneliness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Job's loneliness anticipates the cry that came from the mouth of our Lord as he was crucified. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Unlike Job, Jesus really was alone. God's eye was still upon Job. Job didn't know that. But God had not forsaken him. But Jesus was truly forsaken. He suffered alone and he suffered in our place. And Jesus' aloneness means no matter what we feel, no matter how dark things get, we are never alone if we trust him. He is with us. Uh, he understands and he's endured a blackness and an aloneness that we will never, ever have to endure. I want to finish with a quote as we close. Where Job's comforters fail... Jesus meets us. 
between Job and his friends was an abyss. They regarded him with astonishment as a strange being, but they could no longer get to him. Only Jesus could descend into the abyss of misery and plunge into the deepest hell. In the darkness, Jesus is there. He knows and he understands. Shall we pray? Uh,